Well, we are continuing our series on following Jesus, laying out what discipleship looks like in our day. And, and the question today is going to be, how do we follow Jesus in the day-to-day, in the ordinary, what we're going to call the grind, the, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, day in and day out, week after week, month after month, year upon year into decades for a lifetime. Because what we do day to day matters, right? Our disciplines, our habits, the rhythms of our lives, uh, our nine to five, how, how we do life with our family, how we do life with others in our life. Life is filled with big moments, right? It's filled with mundane moments. Those filled with ups, it's filled with downs, it's filled with highlights, it's filled with silences, it's filled with work, and it's filled with play, it's filled with decisions, it's filled with sleep, and sometimes an extra hour of sleep, like today. <laughs> But the question is, how do we follow Jesus in that day today? Scripture often describes the day in and day out following of Jesus, describes it as a race, as a race. It's an apt analogy because, you know, we often say life isn't a sprint, life's a marathon. But a race captures what we're called to in this life, to run a race. Now, I remember the first time that I realized that life is really a marathon and not a sprint. And, and that was when uh, I ran cross-country in high school. And if you know how cross-country works, the top five for the men or the women's team uh, score for your team. And I was always fifth on the team. Now, there were also only five of us guys on the team. Uh, but I was always fifth on the team. And I always wanted to be, like, I don't know, I just thought sometimes it was like, you know what, Matt, the reason why you're not winning, the reason why you're not third or fourth or even first, first in front of all the hundreds of guys in this race, is just because you don't run hard enough. So I remember there was a race towards the end of my senior year that I decided, you know what, even though I've never even come within, I don't know, six miles of the first place winner, I am going to win today. And so as the race began, I got in my mind, I, I like talked myself up like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And as the, the gunshot, I take off running, sprinting. And I'm sprinting. And now, if you've ever been at cross country, the way it works is it's, it's really wide and there are all these super skinny guys and, they're all, and they start like, like, like chickens trying to like elbow each other to get, and, and you kind of go through this funnel until you finally have the guys who are in the front. And I remember I was always kind of the guy that I'm just like setting a pace, and I'm just kind of in the middle, and soon I'm just kind of in the middle throughout the entire race. Well, this race, for the first time, I find myself all of a sudden, after the first like 100 yards or so, at the front. I had never been at the front. And I'm running, and I'm going, I feel good. I can do that. It's happening. It's really happening. And as I'm sprinting, I remember I passed my coach, and she's looking at me like, <laughs> She's like, slow. Parents of the other team members, they're kind of looking at me like, slow down. What are you doing? And I'm just kind of looking. I'm like, it's my day. It's my day, right? This is happening. Don't tell me no, right? 
So I'm out in front of everyone, and then about, I would say, about half a mile in, because also for track, I ran the 800. So I, I was used, actually, to sprinting for the first, like, half a mile or so. And so when I got through that first half a mile, then all of a sudden, it was like, my body doesn't feel right, right? All of a sudden, my body, like, my stomach started hurting and cramping. I remember my, my, sh my, my legs started kind of, like, shaking, and my knees hurt in ways that I never would feel. And so after a while, then, all of a sudden, I remember... I'm running, and I run off because in, in a cross-country meet, the other thing is I've never had to deal with being first. Well, they're not really clearly marked. You're just running through random farmer's fields, right? Like, it's a three-mile course. It doesn't go around a track. It's just running wherever. Well, if you're going to be first in the race, what do you do ahead of time? You look at a map and figure out where the race goes. So I realized after a while, I actually ran into this path in the woods that wasn't part of the race. So I sprint off into that. There was like some guy sitting on a cooler eating fried chicken, literally, like just sitting. I'm like, this is odd by the race. Like, this is an odd way to watch a race. Like, and so I'm running, and after a while, I realize I'm not even on the racetrack. Then I have to sprint back in, which now I'm back in about the middle of the pack. My body's breaking out. I end up developing shin splints. I vomit three times during the race on myself, okay? And I end up finishing with the worst time of my entire very, very tepid cross-country career. And I had shin splints and my body, I was just like done. And the reason I share that story is that's when it hit me. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, and here's the thing. When we think about following Jesus in the day-to-day, -day, what we're going to go over today are what are the things, the habits, the rhythms, uh, the things that in the day in and day out we do in our life. But what I don't want you to hear as we get going is, oh, man, out of here, I just got to sprint I've just got to sprint, and I've got to do it all, and I've got, to, I've got to be perfect today, and I've got to get my life together today, or else I'm just a complete failure. No, here's the thing. We run the race at the pace of grace, of God's grace. And God calls us to a lifelong race of walking in his grace, of walking with one another, of learning to foot, put one foot in front of the other. As verse 1 says in Hebrews 12, that we're going to be looking at again from the scripture reading of verses 1 and, and 2, we run the race with what? With endurance. With endurance. We don't run ourselves just into the ground. We don't run from guilt and shame. We don't run motivated by guilt and shame. We run motivated by grace, looking and considering our Savior who goes before us. And so today we're going to look at what does it look like to run the race with endurance? Uh, we've, so far, we've looked at first in terms of how do we as, as a church, what are the primary contexts in which we're following Jesus? Uh, we looked at how we remember the story in the midst of the gathering, what we're doing right now on Sunday mornings, and our souls are realigned to what is true by gathering here together. Uh, but then also we saw last week that we not only uh, gather together, but also that we, are, we form groups. We have lives where we have lives one-on-one -on -one together or in small kind of like a tribe, 10 to 15 people who, who we do that race with together. Today, though, we're going to look at what we call, so we have the gathering groups, the grind, the day-to-day, -day, the running of the race. And we're going to see that we race out the story, that we run out the story. And we're going to look at that today. One of the things, the phrase we've been using again and again is that emancipation comes through participation. Uh, emancipation from, from enslavement to sin. Uh, emancipation to, to lies. Uh, uh, emancipation to fictions of this world. 
That freedom comes the more that we participate in the means of grace that God has given us, in the means of gathering with God's people, in the means of, of gathering together in lives and forming lives that live out life in the day-to-day with one another. And then also in how we establish disciplines, rhythms, habits in our daily lives as we follow Jesus. The more we participate, the more we are emancipated from the fictions of this world. Again, our goal in this series is to lay a foundation to explain how do we do discipleship, what do we focus on, and our goal is so that you would know, love, and obey Jesus, that you would experience in your time at Anthem, however long the Lord calls you to be here, a member of this body, that for a lifetime, you would begin on that race, on that journey, where you would go deeper into fellowship and in life in God through Jesus Christ. So today, what we're going to look at first is the race set before us, second, then, how to run in the grind, how to run the race in the day-to-day grind of life. And then third, next steps for running well. We'll consider what next steps are for each of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, we all come in here from different places, hopefully a little bit well-rested, more than usual because of the extra hour of sleep. But also, Lord, I, I ask that this morning you would give us hope where we are weary. Lord, that you would give us truth, beautiful truth that we can grab hold of where there's uncertainty. Lord, I I ask that you would give us grace where where we failed you, that you would call us back from a way of walking away from you. Lord, you would give us strength where it's needed. Lord, all these things so we would run the race because that race ends face-to-face with you, and Lord, that we would finish well. Lord, would you give spirit, would you give each of us steps, uh, clear actions of faithful response to what we hear here today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the race set before us, again, we're in Hebrews 12, if you, haven't, if you have a Bible and haven't opened there, uh, but Hebrews 12, 1 again says, let us, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, what does that look like? What, what does it look like to run the race with endurance? What, what, what is this race that we're even talking about? Why, why would we need endurance for this race? It's interesting because verse 1 there, it starts with a therefore. Whenever you're reading Scripture and you see a therefore, that's called a grounding statement. In other words, when you see a therefore, it says, so it's going to say, therefore, run the race in this way. Well, why should I think about and be intentional with how I run the race, with how I live my life in the day-to-day? The reasoning for that has come before it. Therefore, run this way because something that the author of Hebrews has just said is true. And what he's just done is spent the entirety of chapter 11 telling and recounting this great cloud of witnesses, this great story of God's people and the redemption. And along the way, what he's saying is he's giving examples from their lives saying, the race will look like this. So as I read this, I'm not, I'm not going to teach all the way through chapter 11, but I've, I've kind of given us a list of all of the different uh, kind of uh, 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 dynamics or things that will come up in the race of life. And so as I'm reading these, just think which of these, because we're all in different seasons, we're all in different stages, we're all in different situations. 
Which of these, as I read them, are ones that you go, yes, I've been there, I'm in the middle of that, that's right now the leg of the race that I'm in, what I'm facing? This is what's in chapter 11. First, it, in verse 4, it talks about offering our gifts for God's purposes, of offering our gifts of what, what's my calling in life, God? What are you calling me to? Where, where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to, to pour myself out? What's worth my life and my energy? And then second, then pleasing God in our conduct in verses 5 and 6. I think they're having issues with the screen. We did have uh, verses up, but I think they're kind of giving me a hint that there might be something going on with the TV. So sorry that the list isn't up there. But pleasing God in our conduct, but then responding to God in reverent fear. There we go. So then responding to God in reverent fear in verse 7, of our lives being, are we to fear man? Are we to fear circumstances? How do we actually fear God above all things? Running the race where we're trying to figure out how to follow God into the unknown. Are you there right now in terms of your career? Are you there right now in terms of try, trying to find somebody to build a life with? Are you there right now in, this, in a season with your children? Are you there right now? Maybe it's your, you're ready to end your career and you're heading into retirement. Like different stages of life bring this up, but there's always things that are the unknown. We, we know for sure all around us in the world, there are always unknowns that are coming up. Everything up to geopolitical strife right now, right, brings up a lot of unknowns. Trusting God with fertility issues. Man, that is, we've been there as a couple. It's a hard one. Trusting God to bring us home, and what I mean by that is bring us home when there in verse 13 through 16, he talks about them having their hope in the, the heavenly city, that ultimately God will, will you save me? These, these doubts that we have, the security of our soul eternally. Offering up our children to God. Abraham offering up Isaac and saying, God, here, here are my children. They're not, I'm not going to hold my children with closed hands, but God, what do you want for my children? And some of you are in a stage of life where right now you're going, man, God, I'm struggling with, how do I, how do I like, like release my children? Or even as you're raising your children right now, to want to invest in them developing the character, knowing the gospel and investing in their life. That's part of the race. That's a really, really trying leg of the race. Trusting God and responding to God when we're crippled by shame. Sorry, I missed it there. Obeying God over earthly powers. Trusting God to keep our children. Obeying God over earthly powers. Choosing God over fleeting pleasures. I think for all of us, it may look different in different stages of life. We might be on that kind of that first part of the race where it looks like a different set of pleasures. Or we might be in the middle of the race where all of a sudden things are overwhelming emotionally and we're trying to recalibrate what we really value. We could be in that final stage where we're at that place where the pleasures look different. But valuing God over riches. Man, that's hard in the midst of life when it just seems like, man, if I had the riches, then the race would just be so much easier. But at the end of the day, no matter rich or poor, if we have the Lord, he says, then you are rich. Trusting God to deliver us from evil. Evil is real. The devil is real. And at times in our life, we'll feel that, that pressure, we'll feel that kind of oppression coming into our lives, and we'll just wonder, why isn't anything working out? It could even be just this kind of melancholy spirit for a season. It can be a dark night of the soul. 
trusting God's redemption from sin. Some of you are wondering, man, I've been fighting the same thing for what seems like the entire race. Trusting God's judgment. That can be one thing to trust God's judgment of us, but also it can be hard to trust God's judgment and his justice in terms of when others have hurt us. Trusting God to break down walls when they walk around Jericho and, and wondering, is, if God's calling me to something, is he going to bring down this wall? Again, that's different if you're in college and you're wondering about getting into the major or getting into the career field or getting into that next level in your career. It could be something with career. It could be something in terms of just your personal life, some just emotional kind of existential wall. Responding to God's call when crippled by shame. Just overwhelmed by that sense of shame and the past, every time you feel like you start running and you kind of pick up and you get that motivation, then it just seems like maybe something from the past just comes in and somebody reminds you of it. Maybe it's just the, all of a sudden you start replaying the tape and it's just kind of that accusation coming in again and again. Like, does this define me forever? Trusting God for ultimate justice, deliverance from death, for strength. Trusting God for resurrection, that in fact, yes, all of this is worth it because there's, there's a whole life, there's a whole, there's a whole eternity after this whole thing. Trusting God when afflicted and mistreated, trusting God when alienated from this world, trusting God when things don't turn out how we assumed they would. That covers a lot of the dynamics of the race of life, right? Chapter 11. Do you feel any of those? Do you feel how those, they cling to us, as verse 1 says, they, they weigh us down? And so what the, the author of Hebrews is saying is he's going into this about think about intentionally how you run the race. Be intentional with how you live out your daily life. If you think of the race in every day, every day is another step in that race. And he's saying be intentional with how you do it because these things will come into your life. Life will have difficulty. Life will have trial. And, and the thing is, in order to persevere and to endure, that is a muscle that you're going to have to develop. So let's look at that next. So that's the why. Why is this important? Because we're going to run this race. We're all going to run the race. And what, what the author here is saying is keep going. And some of you right now are in this place where you go, man, am I, like when I'm running, I remember when I ran by and there was like the guy with the chicken. I was like, I just want to sit down and have some fried chicken. I'm done with this race, right? Like some of you are in that place where it's like, I, whatever that thing is, I just want to pull off. I want to bow out. I'm exhausted. He says, no, keep going. So how do we run in the grind. Uh, I just said perseverance is a muscle that we must develop. I, I, I get that phrase from, I had a mentor who said that to me. I, I remember I was in a stage, I think I was about 33, and listen, there, there are a bunch of things starting to pile up in life. Uh, I, at that point, I've been, been pastoring. The, the, the church I was in in California was going really well. Uh, we were between, uh, we were in the middle of adopting um, our, our second child. We were, in the, we were pregnant with our third. Uh, we were in the middle of a major merger. We, we did a merger with a, a church and essentially uh, gained a property, and that was extremely stressful. Uh, in the middle of that was leading that, and both of my parents were dying. They, they ended up dying within nine months of one another. It's an extremely trying season of life. And I remember I was just like sitting there. I was just like, I, I can't do this. 
I just can't do this. And here's the thing. Some of you have things going on, and it seems like it's just piling up, and you're going, Lord, I just can't do this. And I remember he said to me, listen, one, the Lord will give you more than you can handle sometimes. That, that idea that the Lord will never give you as much as you can handle, I know it, I know it sounds nice in a moment, but here's the thing. At least in terms of our experience of it, Lord, there are oftentimes you give me things, and I have no idea how in the world I'm going to be able to persevere in the midst of this. It's exactly so at that point we come to him in dependence. It draws us back to him. It wakes us up from our lethargy. And I remember he said to me, he said, Matt, of course you're not able to persevere. You haven't developed that muscle yet. You develop the muscle of perseverance over time. It's walking with the Lord through seasons and trials. And because in life, what God does is over time, he gives us more and more. We get more weight to carry. You, you start when you're a kid and you're forming your, your character. And then you get through school and then now you take on a career and then you take on a family and you take on dependence and then you take on a legacy and you, you think broader. Like over the course of time, God gives us more and more weight to carry and along the way, if we are diligent in the race, the more and more that we will learn perseverance and develop that muscle as we go. Because here's the thing. We tend to like to think in the modern day that life will just be easy. And we all love, let's all be honest, I'm this way, we hate pain. Ugh, hate pain. And we hate pain and we hate discomfort. And so we try to do everything we can to avoid it. There's one area, though, we're of, of life, though, where we all go, no, pain is good, and that's in the gym, right? So I tend to think of this in terms of, like, a training mentality. Like, when you go to the gym, no one's like, pain is bad, and everyone's like, pain is gain, right? Or at least where maybe it's a little bit too machismo, but you get what I mean. Like, we, we get, no, wait, in order to develop muscle, you have to go through some kind of training. You have to go through some kind of discipline. And, and usually in training comes with some aspect of resistance, right? Increasing uh, resistance, increasing weight, right? Like if, if you're picking up, if I say, hey, you want to get in shape, and you pick up your little communion cup, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm building some muscle today. And you start doing some curls with your communion cup. You're like, it might seem holy because it's a communion cup, but you ain't gaining muscle, right? Like you need, mu you need resistance, something that's a little bit heavier than what it feels like you can carry. And that's how you develop it. And God will increasingly, through life circumstances, you will have those things. As long as we don't just try to avoid them or escape. But endure them and step into them. But along with also that resistance, you need some kind of a, a regimen. You need some kind of like a plan. You need some kind of habits. You need some kind of a consistent, instead of just kind of avoiding the boredom, avoiding the difficulty where you have habits in your life where you lean in, and you know I'm going to show up. You know this is what I'm going to do day in and day out in order to grow. It's discipline. It's discipline. This is exactly where then in chapter 12, after those first two verses, where he's going to take them. Look starting in verse 4. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So what he's saying there is that you are called to this discipline. God has put things in your life that are going to naturally bring that discipline. If you think of it's a hurdle in life, you're learning to jump over that hurdle. You're learning to persevere. You're learning to endure. And God as a father is not doing these things just to kind of pound you down into the ground, but he's doing this in order that you would grow in holiness, that you would grow in character, that you would grow in that muscle of perseverance. You would grow in Christ-likeness. See, discipleship is not something, I mean, let me, I didn't have this here, but let me just pull off and say this for a second, make clear. Jesus did not pull his disciples out of the world for three years and say, let's go, I mean, no offense, I went to seminary, but let's go to seminary and go to a lecture hall, and that's where you're going to become a disciple. Jesus took the disciples out into life, the grind, the race. And they went around for three years, and they lived life day in and day out. A lot of quiet moments around a campfire, a lot of eating, a lot of probably awkward moments, right? All kinds of things where they'd laugh, they'd tell jokes, and they'd tell stories. And also moments when they would, they would lean into things, and they would, they would go through difficulty, and they would go through things where they would, they would think they understood something, but they just kind of step into it and be like, why'd you heal that person? Why'd you forgive that person? And be like, let's talk about that. He addressed them in the midst of everyday life, in the midst of that race in the midst of those disciplining dynamics that came up in life. So how do we, because you're like, great, so the way that grows as a disciple is Jesus, I followed Jesus for three years, okay, what do I do, right? What does this look like? Well, one, as we've said, we want to see as disciples, we grow in knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus. We've been developing this chart as we've been going. We're seeing how the gathering does that, how groups help us do that, and today, how do we do that in the grind? What are the different ways that we train in the ways that we know? What are the ways we train our heart or our loves? What are the ways that we train to obey? Okay, so that we don't just have one area, again, like I said a few weeks ago, where it's kind of like the muscle building, where it's like the awkward guy in the gym, where we all have our muscle we like. Like some of us are the feelers and we, lo- we love, and we're like, we just develop that and we serve people and it's all great. But as far as our minds, we never develop them. And as far as other areas of obedience, we avoid them. And so we have kind of this one muscle that we've developed or like, I love learning things. I'm, I'm like a learner. So I love to grow in like the intellectual aspects of the faith, but then I'm, I don't serve people. I'm not, maybe I'm not obedient to God in different areas, but man, I can talk a good talk like a Pharisee. We d- tend to develop one muscle, but not all the muscles. I said, it's like when you go into the gym and there's like the one guy who's like doing all the arm muscles and he's like, yeah, right? And you're like, man, that guy's huge. And he steps out from like behind the bench and he's never done leg day. And you're like, man, that's super awkward. Well, guess what? We tend to do that in our spiritual lives and it's super awkward. We want to grow holistically, know, love, and obey. So how do we train the know? So uh, look at verse 2 and 3 again. It says, looking to Jesus. So how do we run the race? Looking, looking to Jesus. It's a participle. Participles are ongoing action. So how do we run the race? While we're running the race, we're looking. We're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, when we run the race, we need to know what is true. We need to know who we're following. We need to know what he has done, where our freedom comes from. And we do that by looking to Christ. There's a, uh, 
There's a quote by A.W. Tozer, who was a Christian pastor, one of my favorite quotes of his ever. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we truly believe about God, what comes into our mind when we think about God and we, we think about what he's done in Christ, what comes into our mind is the most important thing about us because it is what guides our lives. You know, we're, we talk a lot in the modern day about like, are we in a, you know, like the matrix and simulations and AIs coming? Are we going to, here's the thing, let's just, before we even, you even have that whole philosophical discussion about where the world's going, you every day live in a simulation called your brain. And we can choose every day to believe lies about who God is and his world and what he's created and what he's called us to. Or, and then here's the thing, if we believe those lies, you live in a simulation that's not real. And I will live in a simulation that's not real if we do not know the right things about God. And we'll run the race all different directions. We'll run the race at all the wrong paces. We'll run into each other along the way. God says, know me, remember me, fill your mind with my grace, fill your mind with my commands, fill your mind with my character and my attributes and who I am, fill your mind, admonish in the New Testament, that word admonish one another literally is a compound of the Greek words to put into mind, literally put into and mind, they mash the words together, admonish, it means like literally to one another, open up your head and be like, here's truth, like have you forgotten this? We need every day to admonish with one another, admonish ourselves by being in God's word. So here's the thing. How do we do that? Well, one, I want to say, with each of these, we have, it's like tools. Like, I'm not just like, go do it, go, go, go figure it out. Like, we, we want to focus on these. Uh, the first is, like, one, on our website, we have a resource page. And if you've seen this resource page, there are... I don't know, hundreds of titles on all kinds of different topics where I've curated that and built that out. And it's not just you might read something, but then also it could be that you listen to good podcast as, as you're, you're going for a run, as you're, I don't know, in the shower, that seems awkward to talk about in public. But as you're, you listen, we're all listening to this stuff, like curate and learn. They're, they're, this is why we do the equipping classes that we do during the equipping hour. Right now, we're literally doing theological foundations. Today, we're going to talk about the, the doctrine of the Trinity and who God is. Next week, we'll talk about the attributes of God. Like, we focus in that time. It's not just theology, though. It'll be things like, how do we steward our lives? Things like, next, next semester, we're looking at things like, uh, how do we walk with one another? How do we deal with our, steward our finances well? To know, to know and to make time to grow in our knowledge. But then we also train to love. So do you have rhythms of training to know? And, and part of it, it overlaps. These are not sealed off from one another, but also to love. How do we train our hearts? It says in verse 11, it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Our, our hearts are where our life overflows out of our hearts, and that fruit of righteousness comes from our loves being healthy. And that happens through those daily rhythms of what are often called spiritual disciplines, habits. Things like the things that cultivate our hearts are being in God's word. That helps our knowledge, right? Uh, but not just being in God's word to mine it like some kind of an artifact, but also or dissect it, but also to come submitting to God's word, faithfully reading it to hear from him, and then speaking to him in prayer, communing with him, having rhythms of hospitality, and one another's life. Having rhythms of, of serving others. 
having rhythms of stewardship and thinking about how we invest our, our stuff in others' lives. Uh, one of the tools that we have that, and I think tomorrow I'm going to have them in our email, I'm just going to say send it out, these in digital form, uh, but one of the things I know many, some of you have used, it's one of our main kind of discipleship curriculums that we have, which is this disciplines book, and we'll send out an email and you can download it for free, but it's, it's got the it walks through how to develop nine core spiritual disciplines and uh, kind of trying them all on and then developing what's historically been called a rule of life. In, in other words, what, what do I do daily, weekly, quarterly? What are the different rhythms of my life? When do I read the Bible? When do I pray? When do I fast? All those things, it kind of like introduces you and then you can try those on. So, so do that. If you right now you're going, I don't have those disciplines. My, my life is just kind of taken over by everything around me. Then take it back and run with grace, and this is going to be one of the ways it sets a foundation, so that then also you can be a self-feeder, that then you know if you transition in life to a different city or to a different church, you don't fall off because at least for the time being, you're walking with the Lord in those disciplines in that time. Third, then, it's not just to know and love, but then also we have to train to obey, and the word for this is dominion. So we had knowledge, doctrines. I don't think I made that clear. Knowledge, doctrines, then we had we love through disciplines, and then we obey through dominion. And here's what I mean by this. We just did an entire sermon series on this over the summer on the stewarded life, but the way why I put dominion is because what it says in Scripture is to be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion. God has placed you in, with some kind of a sphere, some kind of a, you literally might have land that you have to mow and take and cultivate. You have homes, you have families, you have children's lives, hearts that you're cultivating. You have a marriage that you're cultivating. You have a career that you're cultivating. You have relationships in your neighborhood that you're cultivating. You have finances that you're cultivating. You have a legacy that you're cultivating. You have physical health and emotional health. Your embodied existence. You have all these areas that you are called to steward, to exercise dominion. And one of the dignities that God gives us as human beings is the calling to stand up and exercise dominion over these spheres that I have given you. That looks like our holiness and rooting out sin. That looks like, in other words, having a, a plan. What are these, the, what's the vision for these different areas? And, and so with this, one of the tools that we have, if you want to start here, is it's called the steward script. We'll send this out tomorrow where it's four steps that walk you through how to begin to have a vision to pick three to four of those areas and have a one to two year vision where you go, God, I'm trusting you. I'm mining scripture. I'm saying, what do you want me to do? I'm a dad and I have, no, this was me. I didn't come from a Christian home. I didn't know what to do as a dad. I had no idea. I had some idea, but they weren't good ideas. And I had to have some kind of, God, how do I grow in this? And, and that pace of grace is saying, man, I didn't have to figure out, figure out finances, figure out career, figure out, figure out physical health, figure out all of your relationships, figure out your, your uh, you know, on and on and on, all these different areas. It's like, no, start with two or three and go at the pace of grace and work on those and grow. And there are different areas of life that you're in and different areas that you need to focus on. But take hold of those areas. Put your hands to the plow and grow. Grow. Exercise dominion in the day in and day out. 
quick response to two things. You know, you might be saying, hey, does this just make Christianity about works and what I do? Here's the thing, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not also only as in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul says, work out your salvation. Like it's like, well, this is, all of a sudden it's do, do, do. No, what it's saying is work out your salvation. And Paul, and exactly the, the difference is it's not work into salvation. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And God's grace motivates you just like when if you were to say to me, Matt, work out your marriage. I wouldn't be like, man, that's just, man, I, I, I think you're just telling me to work into a marriage. No, I'm saying work out the marriage you have. Work out the salvation that you have, Paul's saying. Why would you not be fear and trembling that you won't enjoy it? That you just let it slip through your hands? That you just kind of get drugged through life. He's saying, take hold of this great salvation that you have. What are the things in your life day to day that it's like, put down these stakes. I'm going to be in the Word of God. I'm going to be communing with the God of the universe. I'm going to invest in my marriage. I'm going to invest in my children. I'm going to invest in my career. I'm going to invest because God has called me. He's called me to fullness of life and following Christ in this life. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Sow an action and you will reap a habit. Sow a habit and you will reap a character. Sow a character and you will reap a legacy. What Paul is saying is God will not be mocked. Put one foot in front of the other and take his hand and take the hand of others and take a step. So what are those next steps? Quickly, consider the race. He says, consider the race. We consider the race because the race ends face to face. The race doesn't end with our last breath. The race ends in the twinkling of an eye when we cross the finish line of this life, we will come face to face to our Savior. And then eternity with him begins. Consider the race. Consider when you get to that moment, whether it's today, whether it's next week, whether it's decades from now. When you meet Jesus face to face, when he says, good and faithful servant, well done, come in to your father's home. When he says, well done, what is he referring to? He's referring to how you invested in others' lives. He's referring to how you invested your finances. He's referring to how you just were present with your neighbors, how you shared the gospel. Whatever that is, it could also be innovation that you brought into the world by God's common grace. What are the things that he says, yes, I called you uniquely to this, to this endeavor, and well done. Consider the race. Second, 
Commit to a pace. Run at the pace of grace. I would say start on one area. If you're going, man, do I, you know, know, love, obey? Is it doctrine? Is it devo- uh, uh, disciplines? Is it dominion? I would just say start with the area probably where you go, man, I'm actually pretty natural at that. Like, it's, it's natural for me to do that. Start there. Like, start by, if you're a thinker like me, start by, like, reading and understanding your faith in deeper ways. If you're a person who's, like, more of a feeler, right, then, then maybe it is leaning into relationships with others. Stepping into positions of leadership, opening up your home and being hospitable to others. Maybe if you're a doer, then maybe it does mean leaning into some kind of a servant team, or maybe it means leaning into acts of service for a time. And then after, as you've established those as rhythms in your life, then you go back and and you begin adding in those other layers. But proceed at the pace of grace. Commit to a pace, though. Start on one area. Uh, It was MLK, I think. He said, if you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, keep moving. Some of you right now are at a place of a crawl. Some of you are at a place of a walk. Some of you are running well. Here's the thing. Wherever you're at in that, just take the next step, but keep moving. Lastly, communicate to mates. I had to make, it, I had to make them rhyme, right? Communicate to mates. We're not Australians, but you get what I mean, right? Tell someone. Share your intentions. Ask for accountability. A tangible experience of walking with Christ is walking with others. Have a plan as you're doing it. Let us run. The race set before us. We, us, we journey together. The fact that we're all in this moment right now together is not an accident. Reminds me of the story of uh, Eric Redman and his dad. You have the picture of the Olympic runner. You may have heard this story. Where he was running in Barcelona and he was coming around the, the last part of it. Right, he's running the race. And his legs gave out all of a sudden. And he was hobbling down, couldn't get up, couldn't walk. And then all of a sudden on the TV screens, you saw this man running onto the track. We learned that that was his father. His father ran onto the track and he lifted him up. And he took him by the hand and he put his arm around him. And when he could just barely walk, he could barely crawl. He said, Eric Redmond said that his dad was just, You're my son. You've got this. Keep going. And he held him up and helped him finish that race and he crossed the finish line. Do you have anyone in your life who will come alongside you? Who, when you can barely walk, when you can barely even crawl, who's going to come alongside you and they're going to hold you up and they're going to run alongside you and they're going to say, you're doing it. You can do it. One more step. One more step. Keep going. Do you have anyone in your life who will come alongside you as you're trying to run this race, as you're trying to establish these different areas of your life? When you go to them and you say, man, a month in, two months, you say, man, it's so, it's so hard, these areas. I want to break ground. I want to see these walls come down. I want to find freedom in these areas. And they'll come alongside you, and they'll just whisper God's grace, and they'll hold you up. Yes, they will hold you to it. But not just hold you to it, but hold you up along the way. And here's the reason why we can have that, because we together look to our founder. We together look to the one who already ran the race. We don't just run together into who knows where together. 
We run together with our eyes up and hearts full of hope in our day in and day out lives in the midst of the grind, in the midst of the mundane and the exciting and the ups and downs and the failures and the successes. We run together because we have one who already ran the race before us. See, this life, you can either run your life running from something and running from shame and guilt, or you can live your life running to something. And Satan, as Peter says, will prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he will drive your life with the roars of shame and the roars of guilt and the roars of inadequacy. The roars of the fact that your life is just fleeting, so why not make the most of it now? And he will roar. But here's the thing why Peter says he's a roaring, lying in a roaming lion with seeking someone to devour is because of the fact that he's all bark and no bite. He cannot devour you if you are in Christ. His roars are lies. His roars are meant to drive your life to shame. His roars are meant to cripple you and get you to crawl and come to a standstill in this race or bow out. The author here says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you walk with one another, keep your eyes on Jesus because there is another lion, the lion of Judah. And he walks out of the grave and he says, they're with me. They are mine. And they are racing home to me. And when they find their way home to me, that door will be wide open. And so here's the thing, anthem, wherever you're at in the race, whatever stage, whatever step, Take that next step and run that race at the grace or the pace of grace and put your arms around one another and walk with one another. Why? Because he goes before us. He will lead us home. And that is why it is worth it to run and finish well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, for these truths, Lord, we thank you that we have a Savior who goes before us, who guides us, that, Lord, you are a God who always goes before your people, whether it's before Abraham into the wilderness, whether it's before your people as a pillar of light into the wilderness and into the darkness. You have always been a God who goes before your people. Lord, would you go before us? Spirit, would you guide each and every one of us? What are those next steps? Lord, would you strengthen those who right now have weak knees? And Lord, would you use us in one another's life where one of us has one, one leg that's weak and one leg that's strong and the other one has the opposite leg that's strong and the opposite leg that's weak. Lord, would you, would you put us together in unity as brothers and sisters to walk with one another, to strengthen one another as a tangible experience of this grace that you've given us. Lord, would we run well so that we would fight the fight? We would finish well and we would run, not for fictions, but by faith. Knowing that faith is the assurance that, of what is true. And running with hope. And knowing that we have that secure because of Christ what you've done. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.